just realized I should have uh, introduced myself earlier. For those of you who, who are here, uh, maybe this is your first Sunday. My name is Mike. I'm the lead pastor here at MCC. And uh, if this is your first Sunday, man, you have come at just the right time. We just last week began a series uh, looking at the life of an Old Testament prophet whose name is Elijah. And we're taking a good look at his life. And if you missed last week, we just kind of introduced who he is and what's going on around him that's you know causing his ministry to go the way it is. And if you missed that, please go to our website. You can check that message out so you can get the background. But if you have your Bibles, 1 Kings 17 is where we are. And that is page 245 in the Bible that looks like this. So if you're using this Bible, that's where we are. On your smart device, if you would, there's the Bible app. If you go to the events tab, you'll find all the notes for this morning there uh, as well. So as you're turning there, I want to remind you of something about God. Uh, More than anything, more than anything, God wants to be number one in your life. He wants to have all of your heart. In fact, when God is giving Moses the Ten Commandments, the beginning of the New or the Old Testament, he's giving Moses the Ten Commandments. The very first commandment, right, that he gives to the Israelites is you shall have no other gods before me. And then in the New Testament, you go, you know, all the way into the New Testament, Jesus' ministry, someone asks him, what is the greatest commandment, the most important commandment? And Jesus says that above everything else, you need to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, and with all of your soul, and with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. God wants, this is the reminder, God wants all of our hearts, not just part of our hearts. And the reason I'm reminding you is because that's the background, really, in a nutshell, of what's going on in Elijah's uh, time but I think it's also what's going on in our day and age as well. Uh, and, and really, here's the thing I'd like you to think about. If you, were, if you were God's enemy, if you were Satan, what would you do to hurt God? You know you can't defeat him. He's too powerful. So all you can do is hurt him. What would you do to hurt God? If you know that what God wants is all of the heart of his followers, not just part of it, but all of it, what would you do to God's kids to hurt him? I were Satan, what I would do is I'd do my best to steal their hearts. And if I couldn't do that, if I couldn't get all of it, I'd do my best to get parts of it. If I can't stop you from worshiping God, if you're still going to go to church, you're still going to sing those songs. If I can't get you to stop doing that, I'd try to get you to still go on Sunday, but also worship something else. I would try to get people, God's people, to worship and serve false gods, which, by the way, Satan has been doing throughout history. The gods have changed throughout history, the way they look, their names, but putting something in the place of God, making something more important or even just as important as God in your life, that is what the Bible calls idolatry. And so check this out on your notes, because this is how you know what a false god is. A false god tries to pull your heart from God. That's how you'll know if there's a false god in your life. If it's trying to pull your heart, your devotion, away from God. For example, one of the gods that has existed throughout time uh, still exists today. Name has changed, but today it's money. Okay? Money has been a pretty good false god, a pretty popular false god because what money does is it says, right, check this out, don't trust me, I want you to figure this out. Money says, if you have enough of me, you'll be happy and I'll take care of you, right? Does money, I mean, isn't that what we believe about money? If we have enough, if I just have enough money, if I can get a good enough job or if, or if some rich someone will just die and leave it to me, right? If I just have enough money, then, then I'll be happy 
and, and I'll be secure. And, and so here's kind of the thing. Are there things that money can get you that will make you happy for a time? Is it true to say that you can buy things with money that do make you happy at least for a time? The lights are up. I know you're out there. Okay. I just want you to think about, don't take my word for it. I want you to think about this. Are there things that money can buy that make you happy at least for a time? Of course there are. That's why Paul reminds us, listen all the way uh, toward the end of the New Testament. Paul writes this to Timothy. He says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. And if you're, listen, if you're new to this whole thing, if you, you may not even know that this is in the Bible. This may not be your image of who God is. That who is it that provides for us, by the way? God provides for us and he provides everything so that we can what? Enjoy it. Is that, I mean, is that your image of God that he provides things for you so that you can, he, you know, so you enjoy it. That's his thing. But here's the warning. Here's the warning. If we're not careful, we forget that it's God providing for us. And what do we think is providing for us? Right? We take our hope and take it away from God because we've forgotten he's the one who's taking care of us. And we put our hope in our wealth. And Paul says, be careful of that. Here's how you know. Here's how you know. When God and money are at odds in your life, who wins? When money is saying one thing and God is telling you another thing, who do you listen to? That's how you know if you have a false God. And maybe it's not money. Maybe it's your job. Or maybe it's a relationship that you're in. Or maybe it's a talent that you have. And man, you are good at it. And it provide, maybe it provides for you and, and, and it makes you feel secure. But when that talent and God come at, into odds with each other, who are you listening to? Or maybe, maybe it's your favorite sports team. Who put that in my notes? Uh, listen, it, it's not, listen, it's not that these things aren't good. But when they're at odds with God... When they're fighting, when they're saying something different than God says, the question is, who wins? Anything that tells you, I will make you happy and I will protect you. And if it's not God, if it's something other than God telling you that, here's what you need to know. It's promising you something it can't do. It's promising you something it won't do, right? It's trying to pull your devotion from God. Last week, we saw that Elijah was called by God to confront this evil uh, king, very evil king. His name is Ahab, and he's married to a very wicked woman. As a matter of fact, maybe the most wicked woman who has ever lived. You never hear of a little girl called this anymore, uh, because when you hear this name, you just know it is, it is just a wicked name. Her name is Jezebel, right? We all know that. This is a horrible, horrible woman. So Ahab, her husband, was not a great guy either. He, there's 20, uh, 19, excuse me, there's 19 evil kings in Israel. All of the kings were bad. And uh, so he's the eighth. So not, not ineffective kings, not kings who don't know what they're doing. Evil kings. Ahab is the worst of the worst. And of all the bad things that he did... The thing that he did that was worse was he continued to turn the hearts of God's people away from the one true God so that they would worship the God Baal and Asherah. Now, just a reminder, I think this is in your notes. Baal was the sun God, uh, they, the fire God. He was the rain God. This one comes into play in our story, by the way. So this is who everyone thinks causes the rain to fall. And Baal promises you, if you worship me, Baal and Asherah, if you worship us, we'll make your crops grow. 
If you worship us, we'll make your life better. Because false gods promise what only the true God can provide. And they try to pull your heart. What they're doing is trying to pull your heart away from God. And here's the thing. When Elijah shows up, life is good. I mean, it's great. Crops are growing in the field. Gas tanks are full. You know, every garage has a car. Every dinner table has a plate forever. It's, it is great. Things are going great. And somebody had to be thinking to themselves. A lot of them were thinking, this God, we've heard of this God who brought us out of Egypt, a slavery in Egypt and through the wilderness and how he got us here. And that's great. He protected us. But can the same God, can he also help our crops to grow? Because the people who were living here when we arrived, man, their fields look great. Their crops are already growing. So the gods whom they worship must be the ones who are doing that. So to cover my bases, I will worship God, but I'm also going to worship the gods they worship, and I'll worship both. And the problem with that is that God wants what? All of your heart. He doesn't want part of your heart. He's not okay with being second fiddle or second banana. He doesn't want any other bananas in the picture. God wants all your heart. And so he raises up Elijah. By the way, Elijah's name is a reminder to us because it means the Lord is God. So every time we see his name, that's the reminder. He comes out of nowhere. He's mentioned, he's before verse one of chapter 17 of first Kings, he's never mentioned anywhere. We don't know anything about him, but he comes on the scene and he stands before the most powerful man in the land whose domineering wife Jezebel is determined to kill all the prophets of God because she wants to replace them with the prophets of Baal. And he stands before this King and he says to him, because of your idolatry, right? God sent me to tell you it's not going to rain until he says so. In other words, regardless of your opinion of yourself, you are not the most powerful person in the land. And regardless of your opinion, your God of rain isn't either. And, and, and just to prove it, it's not going to rain until I come back and say so. And I don't know what you think of when you read this, but in my mind, I wonder if Elijah did this. And it's not going to rain until I say so. Right, right. Or, or if you're writing this script, I mean, what happens next? Does he go, you know, all Clint Eastwood on him and just, you know, jack him really good, or, 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 or Chuck Norris and do a roundhouse kick to the face, or, or you know, I don't, know, I don't know what he does. Maybe, maybe God would have, if I'm writing this story, God would have Elijah go out into the streets and start this revolution and people chanting and protesting and holding signs so that God is in His face. That's not what God does at all. It's an interesting thing when you read this. Instead, God takes Elijah away because he's about to do something inside of Elijah. And what we're going to do is we're going to watch God shape him through this deep season of preparation. Because it's almost like God is saying, and this is in your notes. I want to make sure you take this home. There's more I need to do in you because there's something more I want to do through you. What you just did was really cool and it was big and it was powerful. But believe it or not, I'm about to, I'm going to do something else through you that will blow your mind. So he has to take him away and prepare him. So look at what he does in 1 Kings chapter 17, beginning in verse 2. So he has just left the king. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, leave here, turn eastward and hide in the Kareth ravine east of the Jordan. You're going to drink from the brook and I have directed the ravens to supply you uh, with food there. So he did what the Lord said. And he went to the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan, and he stayed there. 
And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from that brook. So here's what God says. Elijah has just stood before the king, the most powerful man in the country, and then he he makes this bold statement, and then God says, go and hide. That the word suggests concealment, being absent on purpose. As a matter of fact, careth the place where he is going means to cut off or to cut down. Literally, when they talk about cutting down a tree, this is the word that they would use to cut. If you're going to chop down a tree and God is saying, I'm going to take you through a season of breaking. I'm going to cut you down. I'm going to humble you. I'm going to teach you to be totally dependent on me. I'm going to humble you privately because I'm about to use you publicly. You know, we are designed to get a taste of what Elijah went through on a daily basis. And, and, and so almost every day for me, it starts with a time of withdrawal. And if you don't do this, I hope that, that you'll pick up this habit. Uh, for me, it involves my chair. Uh, it involves my Bible, which uh, at this point, I'm using the Bible app on my tablet. And I do my reading there. Some of you are using the Bible app as well. We can see what each other are doing. And I I want to encourage you to do that. It includes my prayer journal, which is where I write down everything I'm praying about, and a cup of coffee. Or six uh, cups of coffee um, while I'm having this quiet time. And the reason I do this, look at your notes. C.S. Lewis said this, the moment you wake up each morning, all your wishes and hopes for the day rush at you like wild animals. And the first job each morning consists in shoving it all back, listening to that other voice, taking that other point of view, letting the other larger, stronger, quieter life come flowing into yours. And so the idea is that we take time each day to cut ourselves off from everyone else, to intentionally uh, disassociate, to hide so that we can hear that other voice speak to us. And some of my friends do it in the morning. Some of my friends do it in the evening, last thing before they go to bed so that that, you know, works on their sleep as well. And so I I just want to encourage you to do it because when we're doing that, look at what God says in Psalm 46. He says, be still and know that I'm God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And so I hope that you will set aside time each day for this, because when you do this, you remind God of who he is and who you belong to. This time reminds you of who is in control. Even when you're looking at your schedule for the week or for that day and you're going, man, it just seems like it's out of control. You ever had one of those weeks? You're looking at it at the beginning going, man, it's already out of control. We haven't even started. You remind yourself who is in control. And we remind to trust God, remind ourselves to trust God more than anything else. Even and maybe especially when things are going well. Like in Elijah's day, things were going great, but they weren't trusting God. And it reminds us, it's the surrendering of my heart and my will to his heart and his will. And one of the things we encourage our staff to do here is to take what we call a sabbatical day uh, every month. One day every month to get away, to hide, to listen, to get God's direction, to pay intentional attention to that still small voice. And part of that is for them. But part of it is for us as a church Because what we want is our staff to listen to God so that he leads them forward in their ministry area. And I don't know if you know uh, this or not, but each year I take a week. And it's not vacation. Sandy is not with me. I cut myself off from everyone and everything so that I can hide myself. Most people don't even know where I am. 
and I can, I can be still, and I listen to that other voice. And in part, it is so that I can continue to be remade. It's not just a daily thing for me. It's not just a once a month thing. Once a year, I go away so that I can hear that voice so I can be remade, but also so that I can hear God's direction for us as a church. I'm about to do that here in just a few weeks. I'm going to go away just so I can listen in a more intentional way. And part of what happens, listen, when we do that, and I hope that you can hear this, but part of what happens is we have to be willing to be humbled as we are to be used. If we want to be used by God, as willing as we are to be used by him, we have to be willing to be humbled by him so that we can be used. It's not our strength we're doing. It's not how smart we are. It's not how creative we are. This is about who we serve. And so we listen to God's voice. This is what's happening in Elijah's life. Verse five, it says that he went and lived. He lived there by the carrot. Ravine. You know, it's one thing to take a day trip or to go camping for the weekend or even to spend two or three weeks backpacking in the wilderness. Those kind of trips are great. If you enjoy that sort of thing, offers a great time away from the real world and everything that we experience on a day-to-day basis. But your lifeline to civilization is still there. It's a whole other thing to do what Elijah did. He went away and lived by this by this brook in the wilderness alone for an extended period of time. And God is saying to him, go there. Live there, settle there, and you will learn to be okay with being alone with me. It's just going to be you and me, no one else, and you will learn to depend on me. Verse 4, God says, Elijah, you'll drink from the brook that I've ordered the ravens to feed you there. And so he did what the Lord told him, and he went to the Kerith Ravine east of Jordan and stayed there. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. So in the middle of this drought, everything else has dried up, no water anywhere. There's this brook that Elijah goes to, and he actually gets to drink from. And then the birds go out, and every morning they find bread and meat, and every evening they find bread and meat, and they bring it to the prophet. And so I just want to stop for a moment and, and just make sure you understand this. God brought Elijah meat, not a veggie tray, not a fruit tray, no tofu to be found in the Bible. He brought him steak and hot dogs, and hamburger wagon. I just want to be real clear about what God is doing, right? Because, yeah, amen, brother. Throw it down. Drop the mic. All right. Uh, God was very clearly, very distinctly saying that no matter what, regardless of what's going on in the rest of your life, Elijah, I want you to know I will be faithful. You can count on me to provide for you. And it's important for us to hear that today because some of us right now are in a season where something that you have learned to trust in, to take care of you, it's been security for you. Right now it's been taken away from you. It's not there anymore. And you're having to learn what it means that above everything else that you used to believe in, God will always be faithful to you. Even when those other things are gone, God is still there with you. And this becomes very important later on because God says, I will be your provider. You can depend on me. When everything else you've depended on falls flat, you can depend on me. I will deliver what you need. And I want to make sure you notice when God delivers for Elijah, he doesn't bring him two days worth of food. He doesn't bring him a week's worth of food. It's not three months worth of food. He brings him what he needs that day. Enough for the day. Because some of us are in a season of hurting right now. 
And you know what it's like to feel alone. And you know what it's like to be afraid. And yet God is delivering for you, if you will allow him, enough for not a week. Not, you can't see all the way down the road. All you can see is the end of the day. And you're uncomfortable. And you're afraid. And God is saying, I'll be your comfort. Let me be your comfort today. Or, or you're saying, I, I don't have much. And God is saying, I, I'll take care of you. I'll provide for you today. Or you're saying, but I feel weak. And God says, I'll be your strength. I don't have any friends. And God is saying, I'm your friend. I'll be your friend today. I may not bring you more than you need, but I will bring you exactly what you need. You can count on me. I will be your daily bread. And Elijah is learning to depend on God for that day. He's breaking him. He's humbling him. He's teaching him total dependence. And for Elijah... Listen, for Elijah, when he has no ability to provide for himself, God is saying, let me, I will do that. I'll be your provider today. And then verse seven, the unexpected happens. The brook dries up because there'd been no rain in the land. And I don't know if you had been Elijah. I know what I'd be. If I was Elijah, I'm sitting next to this brook where God has said, go there. I'm going to provide for you. And all of a sudden it's gone. I'd begin wondering what just happened. Where did you go? Was that me? Did I do something wrong? Now, you, now you've abandoned me? I don't understand. And see, what God is doing sometimes is, we, we, listen, we, we learn that the God who gives water can take water away because where you are isn't where he wants you to be anymore. He wants to move you someplace else where you're supposed to be. Verse 8, look at what God says. The word of the Lord came to him. Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I've directed a widow to supply you with food. So he goes to Zarephath. And when he came to the town gate, lo and behold, there's this widow gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, would you bring me a little water in a jar so that I can have a drink? And she's going to get him water. And as she's she's going, he says, oh, hey, and would you bring me a piece of bread to go with my glass of water? So here's what I want you to understand. When God tells him to move, it's not around the block. Not around the corner. It's not just down the street. It's a hundred miles away. He moves a hundred miles away across a barren land. And by the way, oh, great prophet of God who has stood before the king, you're not going there to provide for this widow. This widow is going to provide for you. Because what God is doing is a little bit of humbling. And I want to make sure we understand why humbling is so important for us as followers. In Proverbs 16, we're reminded that the Lord detests all the proud of heart. They won't go unpunished. James 4 says that God opposes the proud. Not that he ignores the proud. Not, not that he doesn't help the proud. He actively works against those who are proud. As a matter of fact, the Bible, when it comes to pride, the Bible says that God will cut down, humble, bring low, cast down, and crush the proud. And here's why. On your notes, David Henderson said, pride is amnesia of the soul. It is forgetting God. It's acting whether we openly deny him or merely ignore him as if we have no need of God. It's not merely an inflated ego. It's an inflated soul. It is arrogance toward God. And this is important for us to remember because if you want God to work inside of you to help you become the person that he has created you to be, if, if one of your thoughts is, I'd really like God to do something powerful through my life, you need to know you can't do that on your own. That's not up to you. you. You're not that powerful on your own. You're not that strong. You're not that great on your own, right? 
And so Elijah travels 100 miles, and he finds this widow who's looking for sticks. She's looking for sticks. He humbles himself, and he says, ma'am, I'm really thirsty and hungry. Could you give me a little water and maybe a little bit of a snack? And in verse 12, the widow looks at him and says, are you the only one around here who doesn't know we're in a drought? It hasn't rained. We're dying. Literally, we're dying. I'm a widow. I've got one son. He's back home. I came to get some sticks, and I've got a little bit of flour. I've got a little bit of oil in a jug, just enough for one last meal. Evidently, breadsticks. No endless soup and salad, just breadsticks. And we are going to eat this meal, and then we're going to die. And she knows that's what's going to happen in verse 13, because God is doing something in Elijah's life. He says, no, no, that's not what's going to happen. The flour that you have will not run out. That jar of oil, that jug of oil, it's not going to run dry. Go back and bake me some bread. Verse 15, she did what Elijah said, and they ate the bread, and the flour did not run out, and the oil did not run dry, and they ate for weeks and months. And verse 16 says, because the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with what God had said through Elijah. Again, God is supernaturally uh, providing for Elijah because of his unconditional obedience to God. So one more thing, we need to make sure we catch this. God's promises often hinge on our obedience. God has said, this will be my part. Don't ignore yours. Do not ignore your part. Too often we want to become the people of God who, who, we, who, who we believe he's calling us to be, but we want to do it in the most comfortable path possible. We're hoping we can lay on the sofa and watch TV and become the people that God has called us to be. We're, we're hoping that it doesn't require humbling or, 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 or some sort of discipline on God's part. And I'm telling you, it doesn't happen that way. God needs time alone with you so he can speak into your life. He may need to humble you. You may not even realize where you need to be humbled, but God does. And what we're going to find out in the next few weeks is that Elijah is about to make a comeback. I mean, these things are going on for months. And then Elijah makes this comeback, and and he represents God powerfully in, in ways. There's a story we're going to look at in a couple of weeks. I'm telling you, some of you have heard this story. It's just this ridiculous, crazy story. But the only reason it happens is because Elijah allowed himself to be shaped by God. So for us to be the people of God who represents him today, we have to allow him to shape us. And some of you right now are in this season of deep pain, and this will be hard for you to hear. But God is saying to you, I'm doing something. I want to do something in you right now. If you'll let me, if you'll allow this to happen, I'm going to do something in you right now because of what I want to do through you later. I had someone stop me between services and say, man, what you said, it's happening to me right now, and I don't understand it. And I said, (laughs) what you're being prepared for right now, imagine what it's going to be like when God pulls you and, 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 and has you do what he's calling you to do. I'm doing something in you. It's like God is saying to you right now, I'm doing something in you because one day I'm going to do more through you than you can even imagine. 
So for some of you, that's where you are. For the others of you, listen, we've been listening, and, 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 uh, uh, and today is the day that we get to be involved in something, if you want to be, if you want to be. Uh, we have a team leaving for a mission trip in Monterey, Mexico, and so they're, they're part of that group that God is going to use down there. But even if you're not part of that team, God can use you uh, with this trip. Because, but this, this is going to sound silly, but we have a golf outing we're going to do in August. So if you like to golf or if you would like to sponsor, be a sponsor for this golf outing, we're going to have a five minute meeting right up here on the left today, my left, your right uh, today. Uh, and we want to equip you because for those of us who will be golfing in it, so I'll be golfing in it. My job is to grab a foursome and my foursome is not to be people from this church. My foursome is to be people who do not know Jesus. They've never made a commitment to him. Who are willing, who like to golf. And so we're going to equip you today to be able to invite those who do not know Jesus to come and golf with you so that number one, they get to have a great time. Number two, they get to be involved in something that God is doing in another part of the world. And number three, they get to rub shoulders with those who are Christ followers. So we get to have a good time with great people for a great cause. But it begins because we have allowed God to do something through us. He will work through us. So if that's you, right up here after the service. But the first step of obedience that we ever take in our relationship with God, when we determine we want to follow him, this obedience happens in the baptistry. And so it's really excited because this past week at camp, we had three of our high school students, uh, excuse me, middle school students baptized into Jesus. I just think that's so incredible. And this morning, uh, Jenna Vote has come to give her life to Christ as well. So check out what's going on out in our lobby right now. It'll be on the screens. I was very honored and humbled when Jenna asked me to baptize her. It's an amazing thing. um, Repeat after me. I believe believe that Jesus is the Christ. That Jesus is the Christ. The Son of the living God. The Son of the living God. And I accept him. And I accept him. As my Lord and Savior. As my Lord and Savior. Jenna, because of your confession and your desire to make Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life, you are being baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit for the forgiveness of your sins, the gift of the Holy Spirit, and the promise of eternal life. 